a job I had one summer, it uh, only lasted about a week, uh, was uh, helping a guy build a cabin way out in the middle of nowhere. And so it, one of the reasons it only lasted a week is because we were camping out there uh, at the site. Uh, and leading up to the job, the guy I was working for, he promised me that I would eat like kings. He was like, we're going to work hard, and then we're going to jump in the pond right there by the cabin, and we're going to swim, and then we're going to eat like kings. And I'm like, that sounds, that sounds like the good life. Like, let's do that. Uh, and the reason that was the case was because it, he was doing the cabin for a friend, and so they, he was doing it, like, for free, and so the friend was, like, providing food, you know, at, in, in lieu of paying him. But unbeknownst to me, before I got there, that arrangement changed to where he was no longer being provided food by the client. And, uh, and so I show up and get, like, a banana for lunch and a PB&J for, uh, you know, for dinner and, like, maybe a chicken breast when, you know, or something like that. Uh, and I was like, what in the world is all this, like, eating like kings talk? Like, am I that out of touch with what it means to eat like, eat like a king? And uh, I tell that dumb story because uh, that week I had an, an added level of difficulty because I went in expecting steak. Like, I, I wanted some, you know, some, some delicious food, and my expectation was set there. And the point is that expectations make a huge difference for how we experience reality like if we have unmet expectations or wrong expectations we can even have like a good experience uh, and not be able to enjoy it like have a good experience being interpreted as a negative experience because we didn't have the right expectations and on the flip side if we have accurate expectations then even negative things even bad things can be enjoyable or at least not you know de destabilizing or stressful and following Jesus you know I believe it's why I'm a pastor is one of the best ways to live, um, to be a human for a lot of reasons, but I think uh, the one that we're going to look at today is because Jesus tells us what to expect. Jesus tells us what is going to happen very plainly if we follow him. He doesn't soft sell reality. He doesn't sugarcoat what it means to be a disciple of his. He just tells us plainly, and even beyond that, he gives us instructions on what to do and how to respond uh, to, to what is going to happen. And today he tells us that you're, you can expect persecution. I had a seminary professor who spent like a month every summer or whatever in Turkey uh, training Turkish pastors. And there's a lot of persecution at the time in Turkey for Christians. And the, you know, they're meeting over the course of a week or something. And like one of the brothers like didn't show up because he had gotten arrested for being a Christian. And of course, my seminary professor, uh, you know, is like heartbroken. He's like, let's pray for this brother. And so they all, they all pray, and he's praying like, you know, Father, deliver this guy, save him. Would you lift the persecution off this land? And the students in the class like stopped him, like interrupted his prayer, and were like, what are you doing? Like Jesus told us to expect to be persecuted. Like what we need to pray is that he will testify to the goodness of God, that he'll testify to the gospel, to his inmates in prison to whatever judge he gets put before like they were totally flabbergasted that this seminary professor coming to teach them the bible would be like wait you're praying for this to go away like jesus told us what to expect and um just sharing where my heart is this is a weird passage to preach uh i think in our context um because you know jesus said it and stuff but you know, for us, like, we, we, are, we are pretty comfy here, and, like, praise God for that. Like, I'm not saying that's something to be mad about or, or whatever, but for millions of Christians around the world today, they would read Jesus' words here, and they wouldn't really need a pastor to, like, explain what it means. They would just be like, oh, okay, you know, like, I get it. Like, that, that, is, 
That is my life. Uh, they're, they're living literally in the persecution that Jesus is, is telling his followers to, to expect. And so that, that gap between like what our experience here is as Jesus followers and, you know, and what Jesus is telling us in this passage, I, I'm not super sure what to do with it, uh, but <laughs> do, do my best to you know, kind of bring it down, bring it down into our lives. Uh, we, we got uh, a decent chunk to look at here. Let me just lay a foundation before we get to our sermon text. Look at uh, Matthew 9, verses 35 through 36. This is just um, a couple verses before our, our sermon text. This is, begins on page 1510 in the Pew Bible. Um, I encourage you, we're not going to be hopping around a ton today, so this is a good sermon to like, get out your Bible and stick with us, especially as we see Jesus say, very uncomfortable things. It's important that you don't see them as Josh saying uncomfortable things. Uh, I mean, you can still get mad at me if you want, but if this is just Josh's idea, we should, you know, turn the lights out and go out on the boat or something. So uh, just a foundation before we get to the scary stuff. Look at uh, Matthew 9, verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, preaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Before we look at these scary predictions of persecution, we have to see Jesus as a tender, compassionate sh- shepherd. See him working hard and spending himself for people who were lost, who felt harassed and helpless because they did not have a shepherd telling them what to expect. They did not have a shepherd telling them how to live. And so we get to these scary warnings, we have to start with the assumption that Jesus is compassionate, that Jesus is looking at us with love, that he sees people in their brokenness, in their confusion, and in their incompleteness, like you and me, and he loves us, and he longs to shepherd us. So as we pro- process this teaching, let's start, start with that belief, that we know beyond a, ba- beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus loves us, he was willing to die for us, that he knows the way to live because he's God in the flesh, and pray that we would come to believe that more. So with that foundation, we're just going to ask, ask and Lord willing, answer to the best of our ability three questions regarding Jesus' expectations for reality, which is what are we to expect, how are we to respond, and why are these expectations good news? Why, why is this a, a, good, a good thing from our compassionate shepherd? So skip down to uh, chapter 10, verse 16. Let's dive into our text here. Jesus says, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. So Jesus, the compassionate shepherd, is sending his disciples out like vulnerable sheep among wolves. And we'll get, we'll get to why a compassionate shepherd would do this. But let's just ask the obvious question. If a sheep is amongst a wolf pack, what should that sheep then expect to happen? At least a little bit of nipping, right? Like at least a little bit of attack or, you know, a less than, a less than peaceful experience. I think Jesus is telling us very plainly that following him is not safe, at least in the way the world would come to understand safer, our broader culture. Following Jesus uh, is not safe. He's saying that like, we should think of ourselves as sheep, vulnerable sheep amongst wolf packs. Jesus then goes on to describe three different wolf packs. Uh, He gives us examples of three different types of wolf packs that his followers might experience as sheep. So look down in verse 17. 
Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the, to the to local councils and flog you in their synagogues. So the first wolf pack that Jesus tells us to watch out for, we're not supposed to go blind, uh, you know, he says watch out for men, is, uh, is the religious wolf pack. The councils would have been the re- religious rulers, like each town in Israel it was kind of like a theocracy or something. Uh, where like the kind of the policing or kind of governing structure was very tied up in the place of worship. Uh, and so they would have been religious rulers, the council of priests and Pharisees that tried Jesus uh, and whatnot. And synagogues were like little outposts of worship out in the towns, and they, they kind of had a policing function to, you know, to punish wrongdoing, and mostly within like the religious framework of Jesus' day. Uh, but it's kind of a weird thing. Like why would the religious people be a wolf pack? Like, if Jesus is God and people are trying to love God and follow God, like why wouldn't they like, why wouldn't they like Jesus? Like why would people who had probably memorized most of the Old Testament, which is the which is the Bible that points to Jesus, why would they not like Jesus? Why wouldn't they be on board with him? Well, it's because religion hates grace. <coughs> religion hates grace. Tim Keller talks about it like this. Religion says, here's what you have to do. Buddhism, you know, has an eightfold path. Or here are the five pillars of Islam. Like, they're right there on paper, just do them. Every other founder of religion comes and says, here's what you have to do to be saved. Jesus says, you can't do it. You're awful, you're terrible, you're a sinner, you're weak. You have nothing to bring to the table, nothing that can merit salvation. Uh, I have to do it all for you. I'm not some teacher to tell you how to save yourself. I am a savior coming to save you by myself. And so it would make sense then that in religion, uh, people who would look to their own ability to earn God's favor for their okayness, for their uh, connection to God, would not really like Jesus when, when he tells the story of the, the prodigal son. And they would, in their, all their real rule following and doing the duties, they would say, like, wait, the goofball that blew all the money on parties and prostitutes, he gets a party? Or like when Jesus talks about a, a vineyard owner who pays everybody the same, whether they worked one hour or 12 hours, like the, the, the establishment is not going to like, you, you mean I get the same reward for following God as some schmo who doesn't do, do as much? Because religion is about what humans do. Jesus' way of life is about him and what he has done and what we do out of love, out of the perfect acceptance we have as we live with him. So we should expect churches and Christians to not like us if we're really trying to follow Jesus by grace to move towards the people and offer them grace uh, that he calls us to move towards. Jesus calls religion, this, uh, this human focus, this human earning of God's approval, uh, he calls it yeast. He describes it like yeast, like just this little bit that can kind of like infiltrate and multiply and, and ultimately ruin an entire lump, lump of dough. And so here's some, here's some ways that I think you might see a religious yeast infection uh, in our times, in our, our culture. Imagine you have a, uh, homosexual, uh, a homosexual couple over for dinner, you know, for a cookout or whatever, just to get to know them and be friends with them. You know, what might your Christian neighbors or even some of your fellow church members say? Like, oh, well, you no longer believe in sin. Like, oh, you're, you're a universalist now. Maybe you throw block parties with really good food and really good drink. Because in the kingdom of God, there's really good food and really good drink. And, and maybe some Christians will be like, wait, you're serving beer to your neighbors? 
you know, people who haven't had a non-Christian in their house, like, for decades or whatever, like, the way you're doing it is, you know, is wrong. And they might call you a glutton and a drunkard, just like they called Jesus that. Or I think, and, and this is just makes me so, uh, so proud of us as a church family, so thankful for you guys. I think one of the ways we've been bitten, if you will, by the religious wolf pack, is because we had some folks in our midst who professed to be Christians, uh, and we invited them to embrace grace and repent of obvious sins that they were that they were denying in their lives, and they didn't want to do that. And so we entered into this awful, awful process of of church discipline, uh, and that was very unpleasant. It was a public relations nightmare. Uh, but we saw what Jesus called us to do and to be as the church, and we did it. And I think we kind of got bit a little bit by the religious wolf pack. But it makes me thankful for you guys that you're willing to do that. I think that was following Jesus. The next wolf pack, God help us, is the government. Look with me at verse 18. Jesus says, On my account you will be, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. Friends, can we just like take a break and uh, take a moment and behold our King and Savior saying, the government will not like you. The government will not like you. We have this myth in, in the U.S. and America that, there's, that we're a Christian nation or that there's some like conglomeration of politicians that are going to make everything Christian or, or something like that. And Jesus says plainly, like when you follow him, one of the wolf packs that will get you is the government. And it's interesting that while he, when he talks about the religious wolf pack, he's kind of like, you're going to get flogged, just take a beating. But when he talks about the government wolf pack, he says, uh, use it as an opportunity to testify, to proclaim the good news of the kingdom, whoever you get brought before. If you get arrested or whatever, like those Turkish pastors, they're like, we need to pray for this opportunity he has to proclaim the kingdom to whoever he gets to see, the jailers and the other, the other inmates and the the jury, whoever he stands before. We need to pray for this opportunity. Now, there's a whole sermon series about the theology of politics, what the Bible says about politics. Suffice it to say that Jesus' followers, I think, can and should be involved in politics, uh, advocating for the kingdom. I think they can and should be the best government employees the world has ever seen. But I think we could hear Jesus saying, you should expect to lose religious liberties. Like, that's going to happen at some point. Like, if you, don't, if you have religious liberties, praise God and enjoy them, but that would be an anomaly, not the norm. And I think you can make the point, based on this text and also church history, that when there's less religious liberty, there's a heightened opportunity for the kingdom to advance. It's when there's little li- religious liberty, when we're under persecution, that we see Christians, the kingdom of God, advancing the places in the world right now where the kingdom of god is growing the fastest are persecuted places if you feel called to have an active role in politics for the kingdom of god yes and amen like let us come alongside you and pray for you empower you and equip you to do that but if politics is is just something to be scared of or to argue about on facebook something that lessens your ability to be compassionate towards people, especially people of the other political team, then hear Jesus' words calling you to be about the kingdom and not politics, calling you to expect the worldly government to be opposed to God's kingdom. Let's not be surprised by that. 
Instead, let's leverage whatever our situation is politically as Christians for the kingdom to proclaim the message. If we have religious liberty, let's praise God for that and use it to love people and proclaim the message of the gospel. And if we don't, if it starts getting taken away or whatnot, then like we can just read the Bible and say, oh, Jesus said this was going to happen. And he also said it's going to bring new and different, maybe even better opportunities to proclaim the gospel. The last wolf pack he warns us of is in verse 21. Look at Matthew 10, verse 21. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel, rebel against their parents and have them put to death. So it's get, kind of getting worse here. Uh, the last wolf pack is our, our families, like our own biological families. And here's the thing about family. Like, family is awesome. The family wolf pack is a tight bond. Uh, it's a huge priority for humans. It's how we learn so much of how to be in the world. And Jesus comes in and says, hey, I have to be more important than your family. Jesus says, hey, if we, if we love our kids more than him, we can't, we, we're not worthy of him. We don't believe deserve to be his disciple if we we love our parents and we identify with our kind of like tribe you know or clan or whatever more than jesus then we aren't worthy of him and it's and it's tricky because you know for a lot of us maybe our families are christians or, or say they're christians so they, they wouldn't be wolf pack then and you know to that i would say i hope so I, I hope that's your experience that your family is this place of discipleship where people love jesus and the people he called calls us to love uh, seeking lost people, caring for the fatherless and the oppressed, and making disciples. Like, I hope, you know, to some degree, you felt the sting of, you know, your parents saying no to you because they were doing something for the kingdom, you know? And obviously, I don't think we're neglected or whatever. That's a whole other sermon. But, like, there's an a, a older pastor who mentors me, and he talks about, like, I got to be about my father's business. And so he's, he's not, he doesn't do as much with his kids and grandkids because of that. But I think if we think about how some of the like snipping of the family wolf pack might be seen, uh, you know, I think it, it will come, even if people say or confess to be Christians, it will come when we start prioritizing following Jesus over, over family stuff. We start prioritizing spending time with Jesus' people over our families. Like if you were to show up late to Easter brunch because you didn't want to skip, skip church, or you miss cousins or you know nephews' parties because your church family was doing something together and you wanted to to prioritize that. I don't want to minimize, you know, that it's hard to sense your parents' approval or that you know, or it, and by no means is it wrong to go to birthday parties or or, or whatever. But I think you can see, like, when you it, the at some point you have to make a choice. Like, what is the priority? Is it your is it your family or is it following Jesus? And what what is what is what is Trump? As Jeff preached last last week in terms of euchre not politics but in light of like some of those tensions you know because i mean i I can kind of feel it right you know like you're saying i can't go to like nephew billy's birthday parties no that's not what i'm saying i just want to point out that jesus says expect your family to betray you to death so like here's what jesus says to us for us to expect and like here's where we are we're talking about like birthday parties and you know and whatever vacations and stuff and so i'm not saying there's like some hard fast rule i'm just saying like look at what jesus is calling us to look at the, the 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 measure that jesus says plainly this will happen brother will betray brother to death 
how does it how does it make us feel to hear Jesus saying I love you I have compassion on you and in that love and compassion I'm calling you to love and follow me over your family so that's what we are to expect we're supposed to expect these wolf packs religious government family wolf packs how are we supposed to respond to them look at verse 16 I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Jesus is kind of throwing all kinds of animals at us here right now. Uh, So we're sheep in a wolf pack uh, amongst wolves, and he says, be like a snake. And I think what he's getting at here is a a sort of wariness or like a prudence, like a, a wisdom in regards to our own safety. Snakes, as far as I can tell, I'm not a snakeologist, they, they don't really pick fights. Uh, they're very sly and patient and calm. You know, like if you startle a snake, like you step on a snake, you're probably going to be bit before you even know what you did, right? Like you're going to look down and the snake's already bitten you. Like they, they, they don't, they're not going to attack you. Like they, it's just when they, get, when they get startled. Or if they see food that they need to survive, like they, they act, they strike, strike quickly. They're patient. You could kind of say it like this. Like, snakes avoid confrontation that would not be helpful to their objectives. Like, snakes aren't brawlers. You know, they, they strike when they need to protect themselves. They strike when they're hungry. That's it. So Jesus following sheep among wolves, like, we don't need to be looking for fights. We don't need to be picking fights that aren't helpful. Like, we're, we can expect to get bit. Like, we can expect hard stuff is going to happen with the wolves. But Jesus is saying, uh, you know, if you're attacked, respond. But don't, like necessarily go on the attack don't be brash or arrogant or tied up in secondary matters for example i worked at a uh, coffee shop in columbus that was very liberal it was like expressly feminist coffee shop no idea how i got hired there um and like some of the people i worked with um like in their free time like volunteered for the cause cause of abortion and um and I was at, in the break room one time uh, eating lunch, and a girl was reading the paper across, and she was just like, why does Arizona hate women? And I was like, excuse me? <laughs> uh, and she was reading some article about some restriction that Arizona had put into place on abortion. And so, you know, what did I do there? Like, did I whip out my phone and show her pictures of, like, aborted fetuses and, like, rebuke her and, and stuff like that? Like, I don't know, maybe I should have. You can judge me on that. But I completely punted on that entire discussion. Like, I'd had spiritual discussions about, you know, God and what is truth. I mean, before we got to God, we had to talk about, like, is there anything as objectivity? Like, is there even, you know, objective truth in the world? So we had some steps to take before we got to there. But the point is, like, we, we wanted to, I wanted to point to Jesus. I wasn't trying to, like, pick a fight on abortion because if someone comes to know Jesus, then I think there's other, that frames the abortion discussion completely. As awful as abortion is, Jesus is the main thing. And he's, he's so awesome that he can heal and redeem everything around abortion. He can save and forgive abortion doctors. And he can heal whatever happens in and around the procedure. So we want to major on the main thing. Major on the major thing. And then he moves on to uh, innocent as doves. And the, the Greek word uh, translated innocent there literally means like unmixed, like pure. You know, un, un, undefiled, single-hearted, straightforward, honest, like direct, uh, like unmanipulative. 
And to balance the balance of Jesus' snake and dove animal choices, I think, is really profound because we're wise, we're strategic when we need to be. And then we simply follow Jesus. Like if we were a band, we'd have one song, and it'd be the Jesus song, and we would just keep playing it on repeat. We aren't trying to get the sheep. We're not like sheep trying to get the wolves to like us. We're not sheep that are going to like pretend like we're a wolf to maybe stay safe. We're not a sheep that's just trying to like make it to, you know, to retirement without getting bit or something like that. We have a, we're unmixed in our love of Jesus and his kingdom. So we act simply. The next thing that he says is, um, look at verse 19. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. So Jesus tells us uh, how to be, which is to be like wise and shrewd and to be innocent. And then he says, don't worry. Like, don't sweat about what you're going to say. Even if you're like standing on trial for something, like don't worry about it because your father is with you. you will, the spirit of your father will be speaking through you. This is one of the advantages of, of persecution is that you feel the presence of God so much more closely. And he gives us two other things, two, two other ways to respond Look at verse uh, 22. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. So we have the advantage of being able to expect hard stuff, and he says, stand firm. Like when hard stuff is happening, keep on standing there. Like don't cower, stand there and take it. Don't, don't run away from God. Don't like pretend you're not a Christian or, or whatever. If, like if you desire God, if you want life with God, if you want to be saved, stand firm to the end. Suffering, persecution, it will either make us better, more in love with Jesus, more refined in our desire, or like innocent, unmixed heart like a dove, or suffering and persecution makes us bitter. Jesus talks about the sun beating down on plants that wither uh, under, under the heat, uh, and he, that's a metaphor for some Christians who have a little plant of their faith and it just gets beat down by hard times and, and withers away. But look at verse 23. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. We don't have to stand and take a beating forever. This is just an incredible balance when Jesus, what Jesus is describing. He says flee persecution. You can move on. I think you could probably call this boundaries to some degree. Maybe your family is giving you a lot of grief uh, for following Jesus and the things that you're, you're trying to do in your life or prioritize. Like, you don't have to just, like, you know, stand and take every phone call or, you know, whatever and take every, every rant. Like, you can communicate love and then create boundaries. Or maybe your boss is just, like, really hounding you. Like, you don't have to stay, you know, like, no, for the sake of the kingdom, I'm going to, like, fight my boss tooth and nail. Like, Jesus says, we can shake the dust off our feet. That the way people respond to the good news of Jesus is on them. That they will give an account. They will be judged for how they responded to Jesus. And we see a pattern in scripture that persecution is one of the ways that God actually sends his people out. The early church, pretty much all the Christians were in Jerusalem, and then persecution busted out, and just devoted disciples of Jesus were pouring out of Jerusalem into the surrounding areas, and you know, eventually to Big Rapids, Big Rapids, Michigan. This brings us to why all this is good news. Why would a compassionate shepherd Send, sheep, send his people, his sheep, among wolves. Because it's kind of upside down. Like That's kind of the opposite of what shepherds are supposed to do. 
We'll look at verse uh, 24. 24 and 25. A student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? What we see here is that we get Jesus. Through all this stuff, we become like Jesus. We follow Jesus in the exact experiences that he had here on earth. Jesus highlights, Jesus' mission highlights that the point of the gospel is that we get God. We get intimacy with the God of the universe as our Father. Not our best life now, not total safety and security or everybody's approval. Jesus is saying that by being in the wolf packs, we get more of Jesus because he went into the wolf packs. That he's better than religious achievement. He's better than government power and religious liberty. He's even better than acceptance from our own family. And later, when the Apostle Paul was writing to persecuted Christians, he describes it like this in Romans 8. He says, The Spirit himself bears bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ. That's a really nice thing. Like we, We are children of God, we're heirs with Christ. But look what he says next. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. He says it like this in Philippians 3, that he's counted everything as a loss so that he might know Jesus and the power of his resurrection, that he may share in Jesus' sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. I think the language here is so beautiful and simple. It is enough. It is enough for a teacher, for a student to become like his teacher. It's enough for the servant to become like his master, we get Jesus. And the whole Beelzebub devil stuff is, is weird, but we saw that in chapter 9, that Jesus did an incredible miracle. He delivered somebody from oppression, demon oppression, and then people were like, oh, well, he, it's because he's, he's the devil. And, uh, you know, fun fact, that actually happened to me. There was like some early on in my time here, there's some Facebook slander posts where they said, pray for First Baptist because Satan has taken over, and they had a picture of me picture of me there and stuff which you know in light of this passage I was like all right okay you know like it's 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 working out the way he said I'm not the devil I'm pretty sure I feel like I would have more money if that were true but um but the crazy reality of this last verse with the old Beelzebub stuff is he says how much more the members of his household and we can kind of miss over this skip over this is that we are members of Jesus's household that the God of the universe looks at us and he says, like, I want you in my family. I want you to be my beloved child, where his, he calls us his family, his friends, his brothers, co-heirs with Jesus. God becomes our father, and it's through suffering, through the persecution, that our hearts are refined to treasure this. Suffering is just like the great revealer. It shows us our hearts. The Bible describes it, you know, like a refining fire. Like if you just dump a bunch of stuff in fire, like... The stuff that has substance is going to stay, and all the things that are burnable are going to, the chaff and the straw will burn away, and you know, stuff like gold and diamonds are going to be revealed. And so if we stand firm, we will be saved, both ultimately and spending eternity in the presence of God fully, and also here and now, because suffering burns away the things that can get in the way of us being unmixed, of, of loving Jesus more than everything. Suffering, suffering shows us what really matters. 
So Jesus, and again, I get it, this is upside down. In his compassionate shepherding, he sends us as sheep amongst wolves so that we might become like him. We might know the power of his resurrection and experience some of his glory as we suffer with him. And Jesus doesn't promise us anything that isn't going to happen to him or that has happened to him. He was flogged by religious leaders. He was brought before governors and rulers. He was called a lunatic by his family. His family said he's out of his mind. He was hated by the mob, by the crowds, and they shouted, crucify him. And he was put to death. When he shows up in victory, he's presented in the book of Revelation as a slaughtered lamb. He's described as the lamb that was slain. He was a lamb that went among wolves and then was slain for the sake of the wolves. To try to adopt wolves, you and me, into his household as beloved children. Friends, we can follow our our murdered and resurrected king and savior because it's, it's through his death, through his resurrection, that we're transformed from being wolves or helpless sheep, depending on the metaphor, to being sheep with a true shepherd who's compassionate, who refines away all the dross, all the, 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 the crap that distracts us and makes us, makes us unclean. And in that love, nothing can separate us from our, from our Father. And that's the good news. Let me pray.